and welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know. My name is Thomas Magby. I'm joined as always by Mr. Graham Donaldson. Hello. And Mr. A.J. Hannenberg. Hello. I think this is the first time I've done the intro of names before saying anything about what this podcast is. Look at you. Look at you. I don't know. Just trying to like change it up. Keep keep everyone on their toes. Classical stuff you should know. This is a podcast about old things, really. Um, so today we're... Um, you, you might know this about us. I think all of us are millennials, correct? Are all three mm-hmm. of us millennials? And mm-hmm. there's kind of this association of millennials of li- liking to be very kind of hipster, like really into kind of obscure things. And so we're going to be talking about this like little known book that some of you might have seen before, but probably aren't very familiar with. Uh, this Bible? is the, 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 no, I'm looking off my screen. It's the Bible, I believe is the one that we we're discussing yeah, He's today. a Canadian singer. Yeah. Huge fan <laughs> of uh, <laughs> Michael Buble. <Is> <laughs> I thought you were talking about Justin Oh, you know what? I'm so sorry. He was a sweet young boy when he left Canada. Look what you did to him. <laughs> this is America's fault? Is yes. that what you're trying to say? Yes. He was, if anything, he corrupted us. That's exactly right. I don't want to hear that from you. Come on. <laughs> he brought your horrible nihilism from the cold north and brought it to America. Is that what, are Canadians we were known? idealistic. No, no. Are, are we nihilists? I don't think Canadians are known for their nihilism. No, but the, I, I do wonder about like philosophies that come from places that are dark for a long period of time. So like Russia, right? Isn't right, this the Well, point? then there's also all the... All the um, the bummers out of Denmark. Or like mm. the moon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's totally dark on one side of that. That's thing. Right. Yeah. All the horrible poetry that comes out of the dark side of the moon is that. Yeah, definitely. All right. So we, we are actually talking about the Bible today. So the moon is a harsh mistress. There's a there's a throwback reference for you. Have you ever read that book? Yep. No. It's See, where we get the phrase. There's no such thing as a free lunch. It comes oh, from that book. Really? Pretty sure. What's the book about? Uh, it is about... It's like a 1950s, we're definitely getting an email about this, uh, 1950s <laughs> sci-fi We uh, are definitely getting an email about uh, yeah. story about like an AI computer that decides that it, there's like a colony on the moon and this computer decides that it's like, uh, it's now sentient and then turns the moon and like there's a revolution on the moon too. But the, the revolution was already coming. The moon the is revolution sort of like was coming and then a this penal colony akin to, you know how in, at one point Britain sent all of their convicts to Australia? Yes. And so Australia is populated by convicts mostly? I mean. The descendants of convicts, just to be clear, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that, you can't get that stuff out of the blood, man. Yeah. Oh, I don't like this at all. I'm just kidding. Bad direction. Um, so the you same measure thing. someone's head. Oh, I'm just, kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. So the same thing happens on the moon. They, they, we Earth gets tired of housing all the convicts, and so we send them all to the moon. And then uh-huh. there's a it become they get oppressed, obviously, because the moon has you know no patience for a bunch of descendants from for comics so. <laughs> let's do an episode on that <clears throat> it was a good book okay good uh, anyway um sorry I, I i derailed your intro uh no i think everything is a derailment so gotcha. you're doing great so today we are talking a little bit about the bible and um it, it's sort of this is like semi-autobiographical in sort of my own relationship with the bible but it's also kind of making making a bigger point about not only the bible but just um sort of hermeneutics and bibl- and like textual interpretation in general. And um, the and the, if you work at a Christian school, a lot of the fears that parents have is what's going to happen to my precious child when they go off to college and they have some like first year philosophy professor that says something and it totally derails my child's faith. <laughs> and um I mean if that happens, then that's, that's, but whatever. Um, Oops, bonk. And I had a first year philosophy professor. um, So like the actual stereotype happened. And I remember him making a comment about the uh, supposed 
um, plethora of uh, inconsistencies in the Bible. And having been a modern, evangelically uh, raised, uh, yeah, modern evangelical kid, I didn't know the Bible very well. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, well, I didn't know the Bible very the, well. Yeah, right. But um, And so when he sort of just, in an aside, in a class, began to talk about all of the inconsistencies in Scripture, all of a sudden I had that sort of mini panic like, holy crap. Not that I've been lied to, but holy crap, um, maybe this thing, maybe there's a problem here that I didn't know about. Did, did you say already, was this freshman year? This was freshman so year, this like, was first year, college. this was a survey course, intro right. to philosophy, and that's where they always throw the hotshot professors, and he was the hotshot professor in there uh-huh. to try to like get kids into the philosophy program. Right. Um, and he was doing a course, and we were going through like Plato all the way up to Wittgenstein, hmm. and... Um, and I remember he did some sort of aside just talking about it was when we yeah, it was when we were in the um in the Renaissance and he made some sort of aside just talking about all of the inconsistencies of the Bible. And he made reference to one. And um he said, you know, because even in the gospels, they've got Jesus feeding the crowds more than once. Mm-hmm. And in one instance, he's feeding 5,000, and in one instance, he's feeding 4,000. And I think he sort of went into a a talk saying that um, this proves not only that the Bible was sort of like jammed together by a bunch of different sources and they didn't like read each other's notes, but that they can't – or they can't get their story straight or it's just sort of like this like slapped together document. And all the other first-year philosophy students were like, ha, 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 of course, the Bible is lame. And continued on, and like the five kids who were raised in the church in Canada, like nervously looked at each other in the class, and uh, and then sort of you know you had to sort of figure this out. Okay, what does that mean? Well, as someone who didn't really know the Bible, I was like, they don't have two f- feedings of crowds in the Gospels. <laughs> no, they do. Totally oh, yeah, do. I was gonna say, yeah. Um, and um, and so then this sort of claim that the Bible is filled with inconsistencies was something that really. Um, bugged me. Okay, then you would go to um, like youth groups or these kinds of things, and um, and then you I, I, maybe I raised that question, or I've been in a number of instances where where a, a kid who's earnestly looking for answers raises that question to the sage who's at this youth group, saying things like, "Are there inconsistencies in the Bible?" And it would range from like, no, I've read it, and I'm here to tell you that it's fine. And I would be like, oh, cool. Or um, uh, they would get into some sort of discussion talking about how there aren't inconsistencies. And um, but then, okay, fine. But what are so the, what's the deal? Why are there two <laughs> stories of of the feeding in the Bible? Um, um, and so. I want to talk a little bit about the Gospel of Matthew and the two stories there because, and then also just a little bit about, um, for those people who are, are um, know a little bit about the sort of academic world of Bible history, um, a lot of how did the Bible get written um, discourse talks about um, there must have been a bunch of early documents floating around out there. Um, and then the Gospel of Mark sort of compiled all these documents into the Gospel of Mark because it's the earliest. And then Matthew and Luke basically copied sections of Mark because you've got word for word exactly the same Greek in Matthew, Mark, and Luke in some sections. And then John's just like off doing his own thing. So, um, 
And this is sort of presented as... Um, isn't there another... Are you going into this? Of, isn't there also Q? Yeah, Q. And Q is that document that apparently um, uh, Mark is taking heavily from that Q, which they call Q. I don't know why they call it Q. Is that there it, it is sort of this like index of documents of like little stories of Jesus that floated around and Mark sort of stitched them together. And, when, and so when this was presented to me as a kid in school, it was presented to me that all the Gospels are, are these knitting together of these stories, and that's why you have things where you've got, apparently, the story happening twice, like the, the feeding of the multitude. And, um, and, these, and so these incons- so that was the answer. So that was the answer sometimes someone would give. Oh, well, the reason why we've got the two feedings is because in Matthew, he's stitching together from one source, and he's stitching together from another source, and that was supposed to be the, like, answer to the inconsistency. And when that was presented to me, I was like, seriously? Like, Matthew doesn't have an editor? Like, he didn't read his doc. He didn't read the book uh, right. when he was done with it to realize, like, oh, dang, I've got the story in here twice. But that was sort of given to me as our best case for why we've got the two feedings. Um, for example. And then – but um, – and so um, – and I didn't find that sort of satisfying because it meant that Matthew was kind of – what, lazy, lazy, or, yeah, or, or, yeah, or that this this text was just like slapped together, slapped together, and we got we got real business to do. Like <laughs> I don't know, taking over the Roman Empire, right? Um, um, so it was. I was. It wasn't until I was much older that I was trying to figure out was was looking into this and came across people who've written about this, but then also my own little take on it. Can I clarify one thing? Yeah, by all means. Is the so there's. You reference feeding of the multitudes. So there are two different stories of lots of people getting fed in the gospel stories. Yeah. Matthew's got two of them. Mark's got two of them. So within the book of Matthew, there are two. Within yeah. the book of Mark, there are two. Yeah. And is, they come around the same time in Matthew and Mark. Is the problem is the problem both that there are two and that the numbers are different between them? Yeah. Is that? Okay. So so if someone... So then the, the what would be posited is this probably only happened once. Well, first of all, it was posited by the philosophy professor that this never happened, of course, obviously. <laughs> sure. But this probably only happened once, and we had two accounts of it written down by two different people who are remembering it slightly different. Um, and so Matthew's just putting them both in there for good measure or or, or whatever, right? Like, but this, this only happened once, but we have the two accounts of it, and this is either, like, lazy copy editing right. on the gospel writer's part or, um, um, yeah. So that's why it's here. And so you're looking for an answer of how can they... So I was looking for an answer, and the answer I was given was it came from sources that were thrown together, and so now you have these two accounts, and, um, like, pick your favorite or whatever. Okay. Um, So it's... um, Which doesn't... Which doesn't actually answer the the claim of of incompatibility. It just, like, tells you how it happened. Right. (laughs) So, um, but I... Uh, and then when you read it, it actually is kind of bizarre. So let, look at like so if you just so if you have if you have a Bible at home and you're following along with this, we're looking at Matthew. This happens in Matthew chapter 14. And um, so Matthew Matthew chapter 14 goes with this. So it's the feeding of the five thousand, and then Jesus walks, and then the, the miracle of Jesus walking on the water. This this is the Gospel of Matthew account. Jesus walking on the water, and then. When he gets to the other side, there is Christ talking about um, uh, talking about the law and defilement. Um, so there's some teachings about what should be our relationship with the laws of purity from the Old Testament, and then there's this 
also bizarre scene where a woman comes and asks Jesus to be healed and Jesus ignores her and then she bugs him about it and he says, I'm not healing you because you are not a Jew. And then she says something and Jesus is like, whoa, good answer. Now you're healed. All right, now your daughter is going to survive. And that in and of itself is a bizarre story. And so this became kind of a fascination of mine is to collect these stories in the Gospels that have these kind of weird and bizarre behavior. I'm going to talk another one, and I know I've talked about this other one on the podcast before, so longtime listeners will be familiar with it. But there's another one in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus also behaves very oddly. And the question is, well, why does why does this sort of happen in the gospel story? Is Jesus being a punk to this woman? So that, that's sort of the broad brush strokes. Okay. Um, and so, um, so I, I, I kind of want to look in look into it a little more closely. So, back to the feeding of the five thousand. So Jesus is in and is in Israel. Um, uh, he's in uh, the place where a bunch of Jews and the people are familiar with the story. Um, Jesus has been teaching and everybody's hanging around for a long time and the crowd has been there and they're kind of hungry and the disciples say, we should probably send them to go get food because they don't have any food. And Jesus says, uh, they don't need to go. Uh, you give them something to eat. And we're like, well, we've only got five loaves and two fish. And he says, bring them to me. I'll read, read it. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. So there is a miracle of divine provision of food. Okay, let's look at the one where he feeds the 4,000. And that is in uh, a couple of, uh, like a page later. Yeah, I was going to say. And it is... Um, where is it? Yeah, so it's just at the end of chapter 15. So let's read that story. Um, Jesus is, says, I have compassion on these people because they've been with me for a number of days and they haven't anything to eat. And the disciples said, where are we going to get enough food in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? Um, and Jesus, again, says, you know, how many loaves do you have? They said seven and a few small fish. Jesus tells the crowd to sit on the ground. He took the seven loaves and the fish, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up seven basketfuls of the broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. And after setting away the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Maganon. Okay, so if you are someone who is just analyzing those two stories as a scholar, I can get, I can see how you say, oh. They're pretty similar. They are the same, they're talking about the same event that happened in history, and they're kind of getting, but the details are wrong, but it has the same beat for beat thing happening. Disciples saying, we've been here a while, they're hungry, they should go. Jesus saying, no, make them sit down. How much food we got? We got some bread, we got some fish. Right? Like, it's the same story. Right. Except that the details are different. In the first one, they have 12 baskets left over. In the second one, they have seven baskets left over. And so, like, yeah, again, when I was young, I was just told that this was probably an account of the story, of the same story, but we put the two accounts in there, and um, we did that because we had the two sources, and Matthew was drawing from Q and other sources, so he's just putting everything in there. It's like, well, that's not a satisfying answer. Um, then, then the gospels are just lazy patchwork. Okay. But get the, so, but watch this. 
So, Jesus is... Oh. Are they, aren't these in different areas, though? Yes, they're in different... So this is, and that's the key point, is that on the first low five, feeding of the 5,000, Jesus is in Israel, the land uh, where there are Jews. So in this first crowd, Jesus is feeding the Jews. And in the second crowd, Jesus... Um, is uh, is outside of Galilee. He's outside of the Jewish region. He's up by Tyre and Sidon. Um, and so he is, the crowd in the second story are not Jews. The crowd in the second story are like the multitude, the people, um, other people. So first one, and this, and so now we're actually beginning to see how this, what this emerges. The first story, he's feeding Jews, and how many baskets are left over? Twelve. Twelve. And that's a significant number for, for, for the Jewish religion. It's the 12 tribes. Right. So you have this man who can make food come from nowhere to feed the tribes of Israel. Right. All right. Well, we've already got some hearkening back to the Old Testament. We have Moses in the desert, right? Miraculous feeding of the Jewish people in the... No bread, now there's bread, and there's meat where there wasn't no meat. Um, okay, so Jesus and Moses doing similar things. Um, and then the other story, we've got Jesus feeds the 4,000, um, and, and these aren't, aren't Jews, and he's now, and they have, we have seven baskets left over. So the question is, okay, what's significant about seven? You know? The number of perfection. I don't yep, it is. There, I mean, there's a lot of sevens that happen in Scripture. Mm-hmm. Days of creation. That's one. Yep. Seven, yes, yeah. So, I mean, it, it is a special number in number Scripture. Five less the number of disciples. But how does that fit in with the story? How does that fit in with, with the feeding of people who aren't Jews? There, okay. There are... The, um, remember in the Old Testament, mm-hmm. whenever they talk about the enemies of the Jewish people, there are all those, those ites, mm-hmm. the Hittites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites the Hivites and the Jebusites. I don't have that memorized. I just want everyone to know Graham read that list. I was, I, had, I was very impressed, though. I just want you to know that. There was a time when I used to have it memorized, but Good I don't you. anymore. That's great. And also, for the record, I was joking about seven being important because it was five less than the number of disciples. Oh, I wasn't yeah, was really paying attention. <laughs> I just didn't want... And nobody noticed. That's I want that to go. And listener would be like, what? I don't actually believe that that's... It's, yeah. It's, sure. It's sure you don't. Okay. And four more than the number of people in the Godhead. Oh, wow. Think about that. Cracks the code. Um, but the answer being that there are seven enemies of Israel. Um, the Hittites, the Girgashites, hmm. the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. So in the Old Testament, when they talk about the enemies of Israel in the Exodus, yeah. um, there's always there's seven of them. So the seven tribes of the world who are, you know, at war with Israel at various points. Hmm. Okay, so now we're getting some symmetry here. Now we're getting... now. All of a sudden, there is some kind of um, structure that's emerging with these two stories. Right. And, and you can begin to think, wait, these two stories are placed here on purpose and not just slapped together, nor are they just two accounts of the same story. These differences, are they, they actually matter. They don't point to the fact that the Bible is inconsistent. They're actually pointing to a larger theme that maybe the Gospel of Matthew was talking about. Okay, so we, we have some data points on the board that we can put down. Jesus and Moses are kind of the same. And in this story, we have Jesus feeding the, you know, the enemy of the Jews, whereas in 
the Exodus account, we have once they enter the Holy Land that um, those enemies are to be driven out and they are going to be in conflict. Don't marry them. Gosh, don't marry them. Mm. Um, right? And this is sort of that, that Old Testament account. And now we have a recasting of that in the New Testament with Jesus. Yes. He's feeding them the way that he's feeding the 12. Mm-hmm. Okay. So already there's a, there's a sort of a, a, a theme there talking about how Jesus, as this new Moses, is doing something different. Okay. Then there's the rest well, of the stuff. I mean, the, and the baskets, right? Wasn't there 12 baskets left over in the first feeding yep. and then seven, seven in the second is, Yeah, one? and that's where those numbers are coming from. Mm. Yeah. Um, now, I don't have Am any, I just, like, jumping on the train? You're just you jumping on the train. The that's, yeah. Welcome. Um, uh, it's like... The train is like you, you missed the subway and you ran to the next subway stop you and caught it. the subway. You got I'm here. I'm here. I just you like, it. I got hiding hey, my okay. Bible. I was yeah. looking at the stories. I was a little distracted, sure, okay. but I'm on the train. Now, I've got no big-brained um, uh, salute answers to why it's five in the Jewish story and four in the um, the Gentile story, if you want to call it that way. Um, maybe there's something to do with the numbers of people left over. I, I don't know. I don't have any big brain ideas about the five and the four. So that's another, that's maybe just, there's just fewer people there. Yeah. Yes, exactly. But if, sure. we, but if these numbers of it's the 12 guess. and the seven seem to be important, yes. Um, with the five and the four, with, are the, the five and the four need to probably have some sort of place where they fit as well. Okay. So then this raises the point. All right. Is the stuff that comes in between these two stories important? Um, does the stuff that comes in between fit into any of this stuff with Jesus as Moses or Jesus as this new Moses. And that, and is that even true? Is the gospel of Matthew, does it have anything to do with, are there more indications as Jesus as Moses? So um, as a kid, or not as a kid, as like a college kid who's reading the Bible and looking at this, all of a sudden it's almost as if the Bible was now turning into a, not a scavenger hunt, mm. But it was like if I'm if I have the starting place that I think these things that seem just like wacky non sequiturs or these things that seem like they don't fit together. If I start with the no, maybe they do fit together. Let's see how they do it. Um, then you can start to place these things. You also have the danger that you're like the crazy Pepe Silvia guy, like that. Or, um, <laughs> was this? Is that an always sunny yeah, yeah. reference? No, you're the crazy. No, oh the, the meme online. No, <laughs> you, like that. You said big brain a few times, and now this. I'm, oh, I'm genuinely worried about um, you. No, then then there is like the the fear that you are <laughs> the high reading are into things yes. that you're reading into things that may not be there, and you're putting like red lines on the on the the push pin board, the conspiracy board, and then right, you're yes. your conspiracy I, board. Yeah. Going I've on. been like I I went to one of those things where the guy that was predicting the end of the world and I think the year it was the year 2000 it was the mm. year 2000 craze and mm-hmm. he was like he showed all the numbers in scriptures and how they all pointed to Jesus coming back in the year 2000 and I was a little bit skeptical even yeah. then as a seventh grader <laughs> and then now <laughs> 20 years later. I'd say I'm still a little skeptical. It's probably yeah, good. or though that video that's gone around, at least in Christian circles, of the woman who is convinced that Monster Energy Drink is the mar- is like Satan juice, like it's it's. Um, I have not seen this. Oh, oh. Uh, you should Google it. She uh, uh, she's talking about how like this drink is corrupting the youth because it's put forward by Satan and and it's anyway whatever. Wow. It's it's very funny, but she but it's using this like. Um, like sort of woo-woo interpretation of symbols and things. Like weird and, numerology Yes, stuff. weird numerology. Huh. And, but, okay, so you don't want to go down that path when you are doing this kind of seeking unity in the story. Right. But 
um, you do want to lay a case for some of these incongruous things that exist, like two narratives about seemingly the same thing. Sure. So, okay, I will posit a reading of this. Let's look at the things that are in the middle between these two miracles of feeding, where it seems as if Jesus is, is doing the same thing for the Gentiles as he is for the Jews, feeding them miraculously in the desert. So we've got um, Jesus feeds the 5,000, and then the next narrative is Jesus walking on the water. So the storm is coming, the, the disciples are going to die, Jesus calms the, the water and the storm, and um, uh, don't be afraid, he, and he walks to the boat on the sea, and he sort of comes out of nowhere, and he saves them, and they thought they were going to die because of the raging waves, and he says, uh, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Um, and then Peter tries to do it too, and then he starts to sink. Um, okay, so there's that story. Then you get into, um, you are out, then you are outside of Israel into the land of the non-Jews, or it's the, I can't remember, it's either the land of the non-Jews or that, like, the northern kingdom where they're, like, kind of Jewish, but not really anymore because of the... Talking about Samaria? Yeah. Okay. That's the one after, I, I don't know how to pronounce this, Gennesaret? Oh, Gennesaret? Yeah, is that the um, one you're talking about? Yeah, so, no, I mean, it's, the point is, is that, okay, you had a feeding and then you had a miracle over oh, water. yes, okay. And now you've had, now you're in a, a, uh, a foreign place and Jesus starts to talk about how to understand the law mm-hmm. and cleanliness. And so if you, if you try to superimpose that on the story of Moses, okay, you have, um, and this is where it can get a little fuzzy, but you've got either the feeding of the Jews in the desert with manna, but what's the crossing of the water? No, the crossing of the water happens... To, to kill Pharaoh, right? Yes. That's their escape from... So maybe it's you've got Passover uh-huh. where God has rescued the Jews and there's a, it's commemorated with a meal. And, and then you've got a, a then you've got a salvation by water. Got it. And that's and, um, him cal- calming the storm. That's yeah, the, it's the connection the storm. you're drawing. Okay. And then you have Moses in the desert. And when, they're, when the Jews are in the desert, this is when they receive the law and they are given the law of how to be a separate people from the nations. Mm-hmm. Um, and with their purity rituals and with their uh, sacrifice. And and in this section, you have Jesus recasting that or telling them how to deal with these purity laws properly because it has become, because the, the Pharisees have screwed it up over the, over the generations. So let's see. Um, what Jesus teaches in this section is... The Pharisees say, hey, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands when they eat. And Jesus says, and why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father and mother, uh, what you should be gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. For the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God, you hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy you when he said, you guys suck. Um... So he, so Jesus comes in and he says, "That's a direct quote." That's not a direct want, quote. Okay, I was just summarizing. Um, so Jesus is coming in saying, "You need to get your hearts right about how your relationship with God and your relationship with your actions coincide." Yes. And then, and then the next passage is Jesus talking about what defiles a person. They're like, "Oh man, we were taught that if you eat." Um, 
If you eat defiled food, your whole body's defiled. And then Jesus says um, um, that this is a, um, a misinterpretation of it. Don't you know that the Pharisees were offended? Uh, sorry, he said... It is not what goes into yes. the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Yes, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Yeah. Okay, so if we sort of track it back again, we've got um, a holy meal from God, the crossing of the water, some sort of discussion about the law and how to live God's commands, and then um, and then we've got this, which seems to be the pivotal scene this encounter with a Canaanite woman. Mm-hmm. So she, now in, at this time, Canaanites don't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. You don't have Canaanites. You've got, you know, whatever they are. In fact, Mark gives her this uh, Syrophoenician, which is probably the more technical, which is probably the more like contemporary name. But here, Matthew says Canaanite woman. It would be like, I don't know, uh, talking about someone who, uh, using a term that doesn't really exist anymore. USSR. Like, yeah, or mm. like a confederate. Like we don't have confederates in America. You know, like right. it would be, it's an antiquated term. Um, charged with meaning right. to have someone who's a Canaanite. Okay, so this Canaanite comes in, and this story, she says, um, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, uh, Send her away, for she's crying after us. It's like, she's kind of annoying us. She's like, she is going nuts. Just like, we got to let, we got to like cut ties with, with this girl. He answered. Sorry. Which is kind of funny. I think the disciples do this a few times. And then time when they're like, get these kids out of here. Yeah. Yeah. I think. Freaking kids. For for some of the disciples, (laughs) the appeal was being in a cool, cool, exclusive club. Right. And so they're like, who's this lady? Get her out of here. She's ruining the whole. Exasperated. They're like, oh gosh, we're tired. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway. And then um, Jesus um, send her away for she's crying out after us. And Jesus said. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, which is seemingly a sentence that doesn't fit with Jesus. Like, really? You're only sent to the house of Israel? But she came back and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Ouch. She said, yes, Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Okay. Then you have this encounter of Jew and Gentile, old enemies, Jewish and Canaanite coming together. And the tension is there. And it's even there by Jesus saying like, "Uh, I'm sorry, I was sent to the people of Israel. And she's like, heal me. And he's like, I don't. I'm not, uh, I'm not supposed to throw, do, we don't throw the crumbs to the dogs, which is like, whoa, that's, that's pretty harsh. Right. Um, and then she says, yes, but even dogs eat the crumbs on the master's table. And then Jesus has this flip where he says, you have great faith. Um, uh, great is your faith, which would probably not be a thing that Moses would say about a Canaanite, right? Sure. Um, and then she's healed and she gets to partake in the same healings that all the other people have been able to partake in in this story. She, a Canaanite, which doesn't even exist anymore, a Gentile woman um, outside of Israel, this new Moses is expanding this action to her. Okay, if you go back to the Moses story, when the law is given, then the narrative shifts from the, the, the Israel has the law wherein they are to be a separate people and 
their separateness has created these problems that Jesus is now addressing mm-hmm. in Matthew. But they are to be a separate people, and then they are to expel the seven tribes from the land. When Jesus crosses the water after a miraculous meal, when Jesus uh, crosses the water with a miracle, and when he teaches about the law, as soon as he encounters a representative of the seven tribes, he moves basically, the, the, he, he makes the tent bigger, and she and her family are welcomed, are in on this thing that Jesus is doing. And then Jesus heals a bunch of people. The next story is like Jesus just heals a whole truckload of people. Right. In presumably we are still in quote-unquote Canaan, although it's not Canaan because that doesn't exist, but they're still in the place of the seven enemies. And then we get a story where Jesus feeds everybody with the exact same beat-for-beat, word-for-word narrative that we had when he was feeding the Jews. So the conclusion of this is, is that Jesus, as the new Moses, is taking what was for the Jews in the Old Testament and is now expanding it to everybody. And Jesus is now the, the, that who they, they talked about who said one day, you know, the blessings of God will come from Israel and will go out to the nations. And this was the prophecy of the, of, of the, the, that this was in the Old Testament. Like, this was a thing that was going to happen. And so that gives it a, a justification for why Jesus seems to be like kind of snotty mm. to the Canaanite woman. He's like, I'm supposed to be for the Jews. And she displays great faith. And now all of a sudden we've got this like gushing forth of all of this sort of um, God's kingdom power that was just in Israel is now flowing out into Can- Canaan, quote unquote. Thank heavens that lady got her foot in the door. Am I yeah, right? yeah, exactly. Or we, be, you know, <laughs> be um, and and then we get this, and then they get the same story that the Jews got a chapter ago, which is a miraculous feeding on the hill. Right. Mm-hmm. So Matthew is taking the Exodus story of Moses and putting it and superimposing um, it into the gospel to make a large theological point about who Jesus is. Now, my first year philosophy professor didn't mention this, <laughs> right? No. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, probably had never heard it either, right? Mm-hmm. Good. Did you, did you say, were there resources that helped you get to this point? Um, I mean, we, yeah, where'd you get this? I'm a yeah. theology major and I've never heard this stuff. Oh, let's read it. No, there's stuff. Um, you no, got it on Reddit? Been, um, no, I don't on Reddit. <laughs> oh, I, w- I wish. Um, <laughs> let's see. So, my, okay, one of the resources is my father. So, my father, uh, his PhD thesis was called Jesus on the Mountain, mm-hmm. um, which clued me into this fact that Jesus is characterized as the new Moses in Matthew. But it doesn't have to do, Dad doesn't talk about this section. His book, I read a little bit at once. I don't think Dad knows that I read his book. Um, <laughs> But his little, but he he talks about how um, uh, mountains feature prominently in the Gospel of Matthew, unlike any of the other Gospels. Jesus does the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. Yep. There's the mountain, and then at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says, uh, "Behold, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples of all the nations." Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, and um, mountains and Moses are pretty like. They go together. Yep. Mountains and Moses and mountains, the law on the mountain. So if, if Moses comes and brings the law from God from a mountain, Jesus is coming and bringing the Sermon on the Mount, which is the kingdom, this sort of way of living according to God's kingdom. And then if when Moses dies, he's he dies in the promised land, and they bury him on a mountain. When Jesus 
ascends and leaves the game, um, he does so on a mountain. Mm-hmm. Um, the Jews, well, Moses tell the Jews to go off and like, um, uh, you know, conquer the Holy Land and set up God's kingdom there. Jesus says, conquer the, quote unquote, conquer the nations by making disciples of all the nations, right? So you have this sort of met this Matthew Moses uh, symmetry going on. So that's, that was what I clued into it as well. And then I, I think I must have read it somewhere. Or I think someone like, I think someone floated the idea and then I went and read it and looked into it and it, and it made a lot of sense. So when you see this, then all of a sudden the whole game is opened up to the reader to see if these, um, if these are, if these are elsewhere. Right. Um, just for fun. I, I was doing, as I was preparing for this last night, um, I went through, I just sort of like briefly flipped through Luke, the gospel of Luke, which I'm much more unfamiliar with. I don't, never read it. I'm just saying like, I know Matthew and Mark a lot more. Um, I was flipping through Luke to see if there were any, and I was struck by how straightforward the gospel of Luke is. There's not a whole lot of like these sort of weird things like this. Mm. Well, the man was a doctor, right? Exactly. It's much more logically ordered and it's much more sort of like structured like a story and then it flows into acts, right? Mm. So it it reads more like um, like a sort of a modern, like a a, a not a novel, but it reads more like a narrative. No, I'm serious. It reads more like something that we as modern, as not ancient people, but as modern people are more familiar with. It's like a a documentary. A documentary, a structured narrative. But in the ancient world, um, they were totally cool with stories that had these like revolving elements that went back and back, uh, like the ring, the sort of, um, um, not the ring theory, that's that weird Star Wars website. Chiasm. Uh, Yeah, chiasms. And these are more prevalent in um, those Semitic cultures, Mm -hmm. whereas like narrative where you start and you have a middle and you end is much more, I would say like Roman, Mm -hmm. you know, and Luke is writing for Romans. And Matthew is writing for Jews. For for our audience who doesn't know what a chiasm is, it's a literary form that's a little bit different than ours. Our, our, we tend to write in sort of a rhetorical form that's based on some of the stuff from the ancients, right? We have, there's an induction, we kind of state our thesis, we have three body points, and then we conclude, and that's kind of, it's sort of a beginning to end progression. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in some ancient cultures, especially the Jewish culture, it was chiastic, meaning kind of like the letter X. So you would start with something that was kind of peripheral, like your greetings, like say hello and kind of some small stuff, small stuff, a little bit of small talk. And then you'd sort of work your way up to your main point. Um, And your main point would be somewhere near the middle of Mm -hmm. your, your thing. And then as you sort of worked your way down from the main point, there would be mirroring elements between so, like, if you had five five main things to say, your first thing and your fifth thing would mirror each other. So, it'd be like greetings and farewells, right? And then your second thing and your fourth thing would sort of mirror each other. And mm-hmm. it might be like Jesus as Moses. And mm-hmm. then your third thing, which is dead smack in the center, would be the thing that you want to say, which is like Jesus has supplanted the old Moses and is now the Moses that will lead us into the future. This may be a chiasm with the central thing being the, the, um, the woman. Yeah, and so this this is actually pretty common in in their culture, and so you'll see these sort of callback, repeated mirroring elements, and where the most important stuff is sort of dead in the center. Like mm-hmm. we have Romans, where a lot of the really important stuff is sort of there in the middle, and uh, there are theories that point to even the Iliad as say a double chiasm. Mm-hmm. So it's it's two of these things over one over the first twelve books, and then one over thirteen through twenty four, and so one 
1, 12, 13, and 24 all mirror each other. And then 2, 11, 14, and 23 are all mirrors of each other. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so, like, it's it's more common than you would think in old literature. Yes. And it's more, yeah, it's common in old, yeah, in, especially in the, in the Fertile Crescent and that, you know, that Jewish literature, Greek literature. And I, from what I know, although I, I, I'm not an expert on any of this stuff, like, um, um, like, you know, ancient Syrian and Armenian and uh, um, also have these elements to it as well. So, okay. So now as a, as a, as a student who, or as someone who has been posited with the uh, quote, Bible is full of inconsistencies. Look, there are two accounts of, <laughs> of the feeding. Uh, this thing is sad trash. Um, if, if the answer is, Man, what a harsh philosophy know, harsh, you yeah, had. Yeah. It, it was really it, throwing some shade. It wasn't hostile. It was. It was just had this. It just had that like snarky smarminess. Right. Um, um, the same sort of derision. When I remember when George Bush was asked who his favorite philosopher was, and he said Jesus, mm-hmm. and everyone sort of like laughed at him. It's like, why is that a bad answer? Even mm-hmm. if you're not a Christian, like, dude's been influential. Anyway, yeah, whatever. Sure. Um, uh, but it's got that sort of snark to it. Anyway, so if it's posited that like. And then the the only the, the best answer that I was sort of given at the time was well it's probably like this kind of textual flub and Matthew's just putting in these two accounts because he's getting it from two different sources and he's putting them both in there which also isn't all that satisfying. Yeah, I mean I don't know. I wouldn't be sad. It I think the more reasonable even charitable response is to say, even if there wasn't all this stuff about him being, him being the future Moses, is that there were two things that happened, Yeah. right? Because the one, the feeding of the 5,000, is in all four Gospels. I, I looked. Mm-hmm. And the 4,000 is in only two of them. Yeah, Matthew so, and Mark. So I don't know. Because I, Matthew and Mark are doing are talking okay. about it for a reason. Right. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. I, I, I prefer to be charitable where I can instead of assume that this is some yeah. sort of mistake. So... But can I... Can I, I go for it. I, I, mm-hmm. So... What you're laying out is a reason thematically why there would be two different stories. Correct. The numbers line up. There's an intention to there being two stories there. I think and it fits in with the overall theme. And then, so if that is true, right. then the question is like, okay, is there more Jesus, Matthew, or yes. is there more Jesus, Moses things going on? Sure. And the answer is yes. yes. Once but, you sort of clued into it, it is in here, unlike it is not in Luke. Sure. It is not in John. It's not even in Mark. And I think the question might come back then, well, Yes, I see why the story is told twice, and there are thematic reasons for that. So mistake would be the wrong word for it. I think, but someone could still ask, well, were there actually two feedings? Yeah, and this is kind of where I wanted to go with the second sort of back half of this podcast is um, how much of this is Matthew... Cool. Is Matthew... um, inventing a second story so it can fit thematically... Or is it Matthew going, oh, my goodness, that's why Jesus did it twice. Mm-hmm. And Luke was like, ah, I don't care. Um, and well, I'm a doctor. I'm not going to be messed with. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And Luke's sure. just like, I got other things to talk about. I got all these parables that no one talks about that I'm putting in my gospel. <laughs> right. Because the gospels are interesting things is that they are um, accounts of a man's life, but they also have a you can call it a pastoral purpose. Um, very briefly, Matthew was written to tell, to convince Jews that Jesus is the fulfillment of everything Old Testament. Luke doesn't care about that. Not doesn't care about it. He's just not doing that. Matthew right. is doing this. Mark is um, um, putting together a story and it has one central question. Who is Jesus? 
And if you if you go to the Gospel of Mark and read it cover to cover, and you write who who is Jesus on a little note card and carry that with you as you read, you will be amazed how many times that question gets posited, or how many times something gets floated around that's like getting close to that answer, and it's never revealed until the end of the Gospel when the centurion sees Jesus on the cross and says, "You're the Son of God." Um, that's Mark. Luke is hey Romans. Hey, and people who are kind of scared about Rome and and don't and the government is like big and scary. Jesus is a king and he is going to establish this new kingdom. That's Luke. Luke is all about like um Jesus as this new governing authority. That's why he spends all the time in the Christmas story talking about like census, <laughs> right? right? Like Luke Luke cares about government stuff, Mark doesn't. Um and then John is off on his own. <laughs> John is all woo-woo. No. Yeah. And then John's sort of central question is talking about, like, um, Jesus is divine. Like, mm-hmm. Jesus as God is... Uh, um, whereas you could read Mark, and if we only had the, go- the gospel of Mark and nothing else, um, claims about Jesus being God would be harder to make just from the gospel of Mark. It's not that Mark doesn't believe it. It's just that Mark is not... That's not Mark's pastoral aim. Mark's pastoral aim is talking about who is Jesus um, as the Son of God, whereas Luke, or sorry, John is talking about Jesus as the Word that was incarnate from the beginning, that, or not incarnate from the beginning, that was from the beginning who made the heavens and the earth. Right. You know, very, very woo-woo stuff. So, well, who's who's John talking to? Um, Isn't it is it Greeks? It is Greeks. So he there's. Um, what historians call the community of the beloved disciple. So there were, there were like the synoptic gospel Christians, Matthew, Mark, and Lukers, and then there were Johnnies. Um, <laughs> okay. No, and they, they, it's not that they were separate. It's just that like different people, different, they, they had different regions. Right. Um, yeah. More so and I, John's more Hellenistic. So the whole like Gnosticism talking about and, yeah. Jesus says as the the incarnate word like logos yes logos, would have been huge right. for the greeks and yes. Jews that's would, the thing is yeah. when he says logos that word for the the jews is like okay and cool. for the greeks it is or the romans the, would be like yeah but what about taxes yeah, yeah, yeah like, <laughs> or, can, I, can i kill something with it <laughs> yeah um but for the greeks it it was equivalent to saying like this is the organizing principle of the universe yes. and let me show you how christ is suffused in everything he organizes everything about the world if you're trying to dig into what is the core of things mm-hmm. it's jesus and so like the whole idea of christ as logos is like would be world shattering for Greek philosophy centered people, yes. but John falling is a, totally on deaf ears for the Romans and the right. Jews. Yeah. So if, when you want to say who is John's audience, John is the gospel to the Platonists, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, he's talking to the people who want to walk around all day and talk about philosophy. He's talking yes. to those guys. Yeah. Um, and so, um, oh yeah. So then the question is, okay, did the second feeding happen, or? And or did Matthew just invent it because it fit his narrative, or did the second feeding happen? And Matthew says, "That's why it happened." And um, like for um, oh shoot, and what am I trying to think? Like um, whereas the details that Luke puts in, um, yeah, th- this just gets to that fascinating question of when you have four people observing the same thing, right? And they're wanting to tell the thing later. But they're also tailoring the telling of the thing to give a message to a group of people to believe, understand, and behave in a certain way. It and you end up um, 
emphasizing different things. Sure. Do the things not happen? Did they happen? Does it, I don't know, does it matter? I, I'm just trying to think. Like, um, if we want, if we saw a kid, like, um, picking on another kid in the schoolyard and then some other kid coming in and stepping up and saving that kid. Right. Um, and the three of us saw that and told, were telling the story at an assembly one day. You, Thomas, may be focusing on the fact that the reason that those kids were fighting was over a girl. Mm. And I may want to focus on the fact that um, that the kid who stopped the fight was the new student who's never been here before for less than a month or whatever. And AJ may want to focus on the fact that um, uh, that the kid was, you know, displaying sort of like nobility and stopping this fight, right? right? All three of those things happen, but we have different sort of, we have different ends. You want to focus on like how women can come between best friends. Mm-hmm. And I want to focus on like, how we should welcome in the new person to a school because they can still be virtuous even though they're not from where we are. I want to focus on how that kid butted in and he should have let him get picked on because <laughs> it's a growth it's, it's a, a growth, growth opportunity. Oh, you let know. that kid figure oh, no. it out. But but this but <laughs> no. the thing happened. Okay, fine. Now do that, but instead of just having one instance, have it be 3 years of a man's life. Right. And uh um that's, you know, and then, and then, so you're going to have these, yeah, then you're going to have Matthew, uh, Mark, Luke, and John talk about these different things. And not all of the gospel writers were eyewitness accounts, right? I think so. I don't think, uh, was Luke an eyewitness No, no, maybe I'm wrong on that. I'm probably wrong on that. Luke was an apostle, right? Thomas, yes? Yes, right. Yeah, no, the apostle Luke, what am I talking about? No, they were all eyewitness accounts. Apologies. Um, um, yeah, so anyway, so that, that, that's sort of how I settled that issue is there probably were two feedings. He was not one of the original 12 apostles. Oh, there you go. All right. The 70 disciples appointed by Jesus in Luke 10. Okay. So I'm not crazy. Luke the evangelist. Okay. I'm not crazy. I thought it was, yeah. Okay. So he wasn't one of the original 12, but was someone who was appointed by Jesus. So he was an apostle, but he wasn't one of the 12. Okay, cool. Um, so that's sort of how I settled that discrepancy is, is like Matthew remembers both feedings because it fits into how Jesus is the fulfillment of Moses. Luke doesn't, if he remembers it, he's, he doesn't put it in his gospel because he's got other fish to fry kind of thing. I don't know. How do you, does that trouble you? The question of yeah. whether two events yeah. separate. No, no. Or also like, how come there are, how come there are two feedings in Matthew and Mark, not in Luke and John? How come in John, Jesus seems to die on a different day than the other three? Um, those sorts of things. No. Um, my answer to this will be longer than. Or different hours. Yeah. We, we can go into this in the Patreon in between episode. Um, the, uh, you've kind of said this, maybe just to put a finer point on it. Um, the, the events happened. Jesus was a real person. There was an actual crucifixion. He was actually raised from the dead. Mm-hmm. But um, the, the way the stories are told are meant as persuasion. They're meant yeah. to be persuasive to, you mentioned groups of people, but just in general, it's so that people will believe in this Christ. And so they're going to overemphasize certain things for the purpose of persuasion. So at one level, you could look at that and say it's not 100%. Like, I, I don't know how to talk about accurate in that sense. They're all things that happened, but they are over emphasizing certain things based on who they're trying to reach. Correct. So none of that bothers me because 
uh, of course, they want people to believe the story that they're telling. Yeah. Why do you have the reinstation of Peter at the end of John and you yeah. don't in any of their gospels? Right. Well, because John has a special um, has a special emphasis on the relationship between Christ and Peter in his gospel because. Um, um, well, there's a lot of theories. One of the theories is that um, um, he was sort of talking about something contemporary that was going on with these community of the Johnnies who really liked the Gospel of John. Anyway, whatever. You don't need to get into it. But there's, um, um, but yeah, there are these, there are the stories that are in these Gospels that aren't in other Gospels. And the lazy answer or the first year philosophy teacher answer is it's because this thing is trash. And look how hard it is to understand. It must be wrong. <laughs> right. Um, and the... <laughs> My students sometimes think the same mm-hmm. thing. And, but then the, um, an equally lazy answer is, although more pious, is it is the word of God. Who are we to question its authority? Just read it and believe it, knucklehead. Sure. And then that one was never a satisfying answer to me. Right. And... But there, that there is an internal coherency to the stories. There is a justification for these seemingly, these things that just sort of seem to stick out. And like, if something smells strange, Jesus ignoring a woman and saying like, I don't feed the dogs. Mm-hmm. And you're like, whoa, buddy. Right. Um, no, no, there's a reason for it that can f- be justif- can be justified into fitting into the narrative. Right. Um, this is mo- mainly true for the gospels and true... Um, Yes, for the for the gospel narratives and uh, and, and acts, um, when you're t- when these things also happen in the Old Testament, uh, you sort of have a different skill set that you need to do to talk about these things. So someone's like, um, I was googling just before this episode, like common oh like um, uh, contradictions in the Bible, mm-hmm. and I got to AmericanAtheist.org. org, right? Uh, and one of the top articles was like, the Bible says you shouldn't sacrifice your kids. But then Jephthah sacrificed his daughter. What do you do about that, Christians? And it's like, okay, well, that, that, there's an answer to that, and that's that like Jephthah wasn't supposed to do that. Right, right. Um, yeah, we don't hold up every act in the Bible as yeah. something to be emulated. Right. Samson did a whole lot of stupid yeah. stuff. So then, you know, you go back and, and uh, so, like, yeah, there's a different skill set in talking about Old Testament things that seem to stick out in the wrong places. But at least for these, quote-unquote, inconsistencies in the gospel, I'm confident to claim that they that they um there's justification for it but it just it just requires a um a more holistic and more sophisticated reading of it like the the philosophy professor was looking for reasons to poop on it um and i was looking for reasons to believe it and i'm i'm aware that that may take me into conspiracy theory land so then you have to have an honesty to yourself that you're not just you're not just like it. like leading yourself down the primrose path, but that this is actually sure, yeah, the justification for it. Yeah, the uh, scripture has stuck around for two thousand years uh, for a reason, right? It's not just because people were idiots two thousand years ago and they didn't catch the inconsistencies. Other people have yes. noticed those things before, yes. and so then that's where the, this is the importance of reading scripture and tradition, mm-hmm. right? we're pulling on a certain theme that connects these two feeding of the multitudes. There's probably, there's more to it than that, right? Yeah. We haven't brought up um, Eucharist or communion yet. Totally. There must be some type of feeding there. 
Um, in our discussions of water, we haven't talked about baptism. Like there's more going I mean, through. my study Bible talks about, it doesn't mention any of the stuff you did. It talks about how he ends each of his like ministry mm-hmm. sections with a meal, his ministry in for the yep. Israelites, a big meal to feed everyone, his yep. ministry to the Gentiles, a big meal. And then his final ministries ends with the last supper. Right. So like there's another theme, right? Yeah. Uh, Peter's forgiveness. He's, um, he's, uh, Jesus is making bre- a breakfast for Peter, mm-hmm. right? So a recurrence of the theme mm-hmm. there. So we don't have the time to get into the yep. one in the gospel of Mark. Um, it's the one where Jesus has to spit on a guy a couple times, not on a guy, on, on the on the ground mm-hmm. to heal a guy twice because he like fails the first time. Um, my, as a little bit of a like, you know, go and try this at home. Um, <laughs> it has, it, it perfectly <laughs> coincides to why the gospel of Mark has Jesus telling everybody not to tell people what he's done. Mm. Jesus says, he like heals somebody and he's like, hey, don't tell anybody. And the guy's like, um... I don't have demons in me anymore. I'm telling everybody. He's like, hold on, I'm live, I'm live tweeting this. Yes. What did you say? <laughs> yeah. So the guy's like, I'm telling everybody. I'm telling everybody. Right. And then you got the story where um, Jesus has to heal a guy twice. And my um, sort of challenge to everybody, if they want to try this at home, is that they those two things fit together. Mm-hmm. And that that healing of the twi- of someone, somebody twice fits into this weird theme of Jesus telling people not to tell anybody about him sure. in the gospel. Cool. Anyway, right. that's all I got. That's really cool. Anything else, Grammar AJ? Mm. Oh, that's awesome. Cool. Nope. That was great. All right. So this has been Classical Stuff You Should Know. Uh, you can find us online. I feel like the best place would be Patreon, patreon.com slash classical stuff. We post our back catalog there. We also have excellent in-between episodes, which I, I already have lots of thoughts for what we'll talk about after this. So find us there. You can find us on YouTube. You can email us at theguys at classicalstuff.net. And on Twitter, Twitter at classical stuff. I'm sure there's much more. I think uh, maybe that's all of them. I hope that's all of them. And we got banned on Twitter. We got banned on not Twitter. Not, been, yeah, exactly. Not yet. No, not Pending yet. a court decision. So. You know, I would just say not yet. I don't like Wait that. Waiting for that. I don't, I don't want to know about that. All right. Thank you all for listening, and we will see you next week. Bye. 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 Bye.